bit. Am I all right, so the sound-wise? Yep. You've been enjoying my husband then, have you? He, well, he's a good man, isn't he? <laughs> um, and you're Baptists, aren't you? Not really. You're followers of Jesus, yes? But actually, you do understand what it means to be baptized, doesn't it? Don't you? Um, Nick was just talking about that a bit. Where do you do baptisms? In a baptistry or a swimming pool? Or, or? Uh, oh, right. That's, oh, fantastic. Well, I was baptized by my dad when I was 12 years old. And the tank that he was going to baptize about 20 of us in had to be cleared of green, slimy gunge and big bullfrogs. <laughs> I lived in Jamaica at the time. <laughs> I've got something a little bit in common with Hermie. <laughs> um, and I thought I'd just say that right at the beginning, because there's a lilt in my voice, I think, that people try and say, well, where does it come from? And then you spend the time sort of thinking, where does she come from, instead of actually listening to what I'm saying. So I could speak to you in a good Jamaican accent if you really wanted me to, you know. <laughs> but I think that would be too distracting. <laughs> but anyway, one of the verses that my parents gave me at my baptism was Romans 12, verse 2. In fact, it was from Philip's translation, and I'll read it from the Bible that, gave, that they gave me those many years ago. You can see it's really tattered now. <laughs> Philip's translation, it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. I was about to be sent to boarding school in England. It was not a happy thought for me <laughs> at that time, just before, I mean, just after I was baptized. I was going to be facing a very different world, one that actually would really try and squeeze me into its own mold. A lot of peer pressure that actually I hadn't been used to until I came to boarding school in England. So that was a very important verse for me then, and actually it still is, and I hope that it is for each of us as well. The New Living Translation says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a holy and living sacrifice, the kind he'll accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. And it's verse 2 that I actually want to concentrate on today. And in the NIV, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that can actually give you the impression that it's a once and for all thing. Be transformed. <laughs> but actually, the tense there is, go on being transformed. And I think Nick sort of mentioned that a little bit. I thought he was taking quite a few things I wanted to say, actually, but never mind. <laughs> there are no shortcuts, I'm afraid, in this transformation process. We're in a lifelong process, aren't we, of being transformed. Are you aware of, of how God is transforming you? Have you actually given it thought? As Nick said this morning, it's often through some of the hard things, isn't it, in life, that we change and grow. But someone's actually said, 
Real transformation comes in the inner self where we let God love us unconditionally and so find the power to renew our minds, change our attitudes, and in that way we'll affect the world we live in. I really like that quote. So there are three things I wanted to look at this afternoon that's associated with being transformed. One is know God loves us, choose to think differently, and affect the world we live in. So know God loves us. <laughs> Knowing he loves us is the greatest gift that any of us can have, and it's the greatest transforming thing that I know, actually. And as Nick said again this morning, we need to understand deep in our hearts, don't we, that God really is our Father. And knowing who I am, that I'm his child, that he loves me wholeheartedly, is not a half-hearted love, as we often love, and as, as we've often been loved as well. It's wholehearted. And actually, he loves me unconditionally. Most of us have actually experienced, haven't we, conditional love from others. And we often see ourselves through the eyes of other people. I don't know whether you've heard this little saying before. I'm not what I think I am, and I'm not what you think I am, but I am what I think you think I am. <laughs> Can you work that out? I'm not what I think I am, and I'm not what you think I am, but I am what I think you think I am. Now, in other words, we see ourselves as we perceive others see us, which is actually a distorted, inaccurate way very, very often. Um, and that's not the way we should live. We should see ourselves in the mirror of God's unconditional love, not the conditional love of, of everything, everybody else. We see ourselves in the light of his love and the light of the value that he puts on us. That is absolutely fantastic. And not only does he love us wholeheartedly and unconditionally, he actually loves us continually. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. I have a quality relationship, love relationship, that will never, never end. And that is just so wonderful. About this time last year, and I just may cry, I had the privilege of being with my beloved mum as she died. And you know, all of us were there. It was just the most incredible experience. Nick and I had actually come to take her home. She'd actually been in a rehabilitation home. And she was coming home for the weekend just to see how she'd get on. And uh, we got up there just in time. She'd actually overnight developed peritonitis. I found myself in an emergency, in a... In a um, ambulance up the motorway, holding her hand the whole way. And when we got there, we were told it was an end-of-life illness. But, you know, it was just the most incredible thing. We sang hymns the whole night. We held her hand. We'd never let go. We just said how much we loved her. And, um, excuse me, <laughs> I thought I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> um, but she went to be with her Savior and Lord in the most wonderfully peaceful way. And at the end of it, a nurse came in and put a rose on her chest and said, that's a symbol of the love that I've seen in this room. So that was incredible. And she chose for a funeral. She'd, she'd thought about it before, because <laughs> uh, she knew she was going to die at some point. Um, and one of the hymns that she chose was, face to face, oh blissful moment, face to face, to see and know face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. 
And isn't that just so wonderful? Face to face, she is with him. And dad's there as well. He died 20 years ago. But you know, God loved us while we were far away from him. And God loves us before we are born. And God will love us after we die. He actually loves us continually. Isn't that incredible? So I'm a just, I am a beloved child of God. You're a beloved child of God. Wholeheartedly and continually loved by him. And he values us. He values me so much. And something we forget sometimes is that he enjoys us. I think Nick actually mentioned this as well a bit this morning. I enjoy my grandchildren. Don't you think they're wonderful? They're gorgeous. I, I know they're probably not as gorgeous as yours. But um, <laughs> actually, I think they are. <laughs> and um, Grace, Hope, Theo, Naomi, I have no idea what they're going to be doing in the future or actually achieve in their lives. They may be a bit messy now. They're actually very naughty sometimes. <laughs> Some of the things they, they do really don't please me, but actually they give me pleasure by being my grandchildren. Do you know, I'm going to have to blow my nose. And does anybody have a hanky? Because <laughs> I didn't get prepared. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. But they, they give me incredible pleasure just by being, just by being. They're my grandchildren. And actually, it's the same with God and us, except he has no grandchildren, does he? You're only first generation. Each of us is a beloved child. But we give him great pleasure. He enjoys us, and we just need to know that deep in our hearts as well. I thought you might enjoy this poem by an unknown author. And it's simply about enjoying our little ones, be they our children or grandchildren. It's entitled, I took his hand and followed. My dishes went unwashed today. I didn't make my bed. I took his hand and followed where his eager footsteps led. Oh yes, we went adventuring, my little child and I, exploring all the great outdoors beneath the sun and sky. We, we watched a robin feed her young. We climbed a sunlit hill saw cloud sheep scamper through the sky, we plucked a daffodil. That my house was so neglected that I didn't brush the stairs, in 20 years, no one on earth will know or even care. But that I've helped my little child to noble adulthood grow, in 20 years, the whole wide world may look and see and know. Isn't that lovely? That's such a beautiful picture of simply enjoying the company of a little child, of enjoying their wonder, of enjoying them, of giving them time, even in the midst of our full lives. And that will stand them actually in good stead for the future. Actually, I'm going to read a, a little bit of a letter that I found that mum had kept, that I wrote to my parents when I was in my early 20s. Um, it means so much to people when we express and love and honor them, don't we? And uh, I think that's probably why she kept this. I said to them, I wanted to thank you both for being the mother and father that you've been and are to me. I'm sure you feel that you have failed in many ways. What parent doesn't? But all I do know is the incredible resources that you've built into my life through your love and example. 
I realize my privilege more and more as I meet so many people who just don't have the inbuilt security in the relationship that I have with you. I want to express the honor I have for you and the incredible love. And, the, and, and this is a funny bit. I'm sure that the kingdom of God is benefiting from what you've put into my life. I know for, sh I know for a start that Nick has benefited. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And I often think back to the time when I was six with that whistle experience. I love you both very much. I almost died when I was six. I won't go into that. But um, it was as if God gave me back my life at age six. And um, I just thought I'd share that. It's just good to honor people, isn't it? Um, and express things. But no matter what our experience of parenting has been, the truth is that God, God always has time for us. And he enjoys his children. And the assurance that I am God's child actually comes from his spirit. And again, Romans 8:15 that Nick again mentioned. So you should not be like cowering fear, fearful slaves. Not fearful slaves. <laughs> fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts that we are God's children, deep in our hearts. So when I know God loves me unconditionally and I begin to see myself in the mirror of that love, I can actually look at all the flaws that I have without fear because I know that he loves me and, and I know that actually it's the power of his love that will help me change. I'm able to look at mistakes and failings and actually we find the courage to change then, don't we? to be followers of Jesus more. <laughs> and we'll be able to say, as I say in this poem, I love you, oh my father, I'm so glad that I'm yours. Even as I look within and see the huge, tremendous flaws of my heart and of my mind and will, of my emotions too, I know that you can see them all, yet you love me through and through. And as I'm being transformed into the image of the one who died for me, it's your love and understanding that truly sets me free. And it gives me courage, Father, to know I am your work of art. To you, my King, my God, my friend, I set my life apart. That was just a, a little poem that I wrote quite a long time ago. Though. But the quote that I read at the beginning again, real transformation comes in the inner self where we let God love us unconditionally. And so find the power to renew our minds, change our attitudes. And in that way, we'll affect the world that we live in. So my first point, know that God loves us unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually, and he enjoys us. And the second point I wanted to say was um, choose to think differently. You may have heard a lot of this before, but again, Romans 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? How does he do that? By changing the way we think. And actually, our minds are amazing organs, aren't they? Did you know that about 1,300 words a minute go through the average person's mind? Don't try and think, work that out. But we think all the time, and actually, it's just talking to ourselves, really. So can you imagine all the words that are going through at a huge rate? 
That's all we're doing, really, talking to ourselves, having inner conversations going on all the time. And some of it is uplifting and encouraging, isn't it? But much of it's negative, and it rumbles away, often negative thinking that's very ingrained in us. Everything I do goes wrong. I failed again. I always fail. I'm no good. It's all my fault. I hate myself. I'm ugly. Believe it or not, I... I battled with that one for a long time, and I won't go into why I did, but I'm ugly. I really did think I was ugly. <laughs> I'm a hopeless and useless person. I mustn't do anything wrong. It would be awful if I did. I must please people. The musts are terrible in our lives, aren't they? I must approve. They must approve of me. In order to be accepted by people, I have to do well. I'm basically a bad and unworthy person. No one would love me as I am. All of those things just rumble away very, very often, on and on, rumbling on. And actually, we need to take control of it. Again, Nick mentioned this this morning, didn't he? Renewing our mind actually is our responsibility. We need to capture our self-talk. We actually need to become aware of the things that we're saying to ourselves, aware of our attitudes. I like this quote from Charles Swindle. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We can't change our past. We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I think that's a really good quote. So you're the one in the charge of your mind. God isn't going to change your mind for you. He's actually given us free will and the power to do something about it. We have the authority. For example, if, if someone comes to your front door, you have the right to let them in or not, don't you? Or, the same way, all sorts of thoughts come knocking at our mind's door, but I can choose to let them in or not. And so we go on being transformed. That's the present continuous tense. <laughs> we, as we learn to capture those thoughts and to dispute them and exchange the lies for truth. But actually, change, I think, is not an easy task. If you think it is, think again. You probably know that already, don't you? It's not an easy task. This is a quote from, from Lawrence Crabb. Genuine, deep heart-level change is complex. I sometimes envy people who hold and name it and claim it, or do what's right and everything else will fall into place approach to Christian growth. The problem is, biblical change is neither superficial nor simple. We want to be transformed into the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. But this process involves a renewal of our person at the level of hidden thoughts and motivations of our hearts. 
and it requires that we renew our mind. So actually much of our thinking, your thinking, takes place unconsciously. It's hidden. We don't really notice it. But actually we are influenced, it, influenced by it just as much as by our conscious thoughts. That's quite a thought, isn't it? But actually our hidden um, thoughts influence us just as much as our conscious thoughts. And we've got an awful lot that go on underneath the surface. So we actually need to take a good look at our thinking, don't we? And the scriptures tell us to take thoughts captive, don't they? Well, how do we do that? Well, actually getting them down on paper is one way of catching them. You know, um, actually you realize, oh, I've been thinking that. Because actually our, our, our thinking um, motivates what we do, isn't it? Um, so one of the ways of, of catching our thoughts is just put them down on paper and take, take a good look at them. It's like sort of taking a tea bag out of your head, <laughs> having a good look at them and sort of saying, does that line up with what God would really be wanting me to think? And often our thinking time is taken up with things like angry thoughts and resentments and guilt and envy and self-preoccupation and thoughts of sexual impurity and inferiorities and, and worrying and all of those things just cause a huge amount of havoc in our minds, don't they? And actually the battle is won or lost in the mind and that's why, again, it is so important to renew our minds as followers of Jesus. Um, so how do we do that? Well, it isn't simple as we've already said, but actually, simply put, it means replacing lies with truth. So the lies of you're unloved, you're no good, you're ugly, you're a failure, you're worthless, you're a nobody, others aren't as stupid as me, you're, um, I'm hopeless at this job, or whatever it is, replaced with positive, truthful, empowering things. And, and that's what we need to be doing daily, really. Truths that are in line with how God sees us, which are enabling and authorizing. Because I'm not ugly, I'm not worthless or no good. I'm created, actually, in Christ Jesus to do good works, to make a significant contribution in the world. And Ephesians 2 says, I'm his masterpiece. I'm his masterpiece, his work of art. I look good in his eyes, and he's proud of me. I'm just going to go through quite slowly some wonderful truths that I just think, I hope, will feed you. I am God's child. God created me, and he loves me. He knows me through and through. God loves me just the way I am right now. God accepts me just the way I am. I am acceptable and lovable. I am a beautiful woman of God. I have infinite worth. All of creation is not complete without me. I have been created individually. I am unique. God created me as that unique person 
and he loves me. God chose me as his own. God lives in me and I live in him. He abides in me and calls me his child. He wants me to live fully and abundantly. He frees me and gives me joy. I accept God's love this day and know he will love me forever. I thank him for creating me and giving me life. I thank him for truth and love and life. Those feed your spirit, don't they? And those are the truths we sh- those are the sort of truths we should be imbibing deep into us so that actually lies have less room to lodge. <laughs> but wrong thinking produces sim- symptoms. I've just said that already, I think. And I've got a handout um, with a few symptoms that show up our wrong thinking that might be helpful to you. And I thought what would be good would be if you could look at them individually just for a few minutes. And then if you have the courage, you don't have to, turn into twos or threes and, and um, just share with one another whether you can see yourself in any of those, these things that are coming out now, okay? I'll just read through them. One of the symptoms of wrong thinking is, I judge myself without mercy. Now, there's a lie there, how you're thinking, and then it tells you the truth that you might be able to counteract that with. Another one is, I have difficulty having fun. Another one is, I take myself very seriously. Another one is, I have difficulty with close relationships. Another one is, I constantly seek approval and affirmation. Another one is, I look for immediate as opposed to delayed gratification. Another one is, I manage my time poorly and do not set my priorities in a way that works well for me. And each of those has a line of truth and and just see whether you can identify with any of them. And actually, you can take those away and, you know, that might just be a helpful start in sort of beginning to think of how you counteract some of the lies that come at us. replace them with a truth. So I'll just give you one or two minutes to just look at, um, at something individually and then you'll have about, you could have up to 10 minutes actually probably. How are you doing? Has everybody got one? Hands up, anybody who hasn't got one? At the back still, I think. The instructions on one side and the, and the, um, the, the symptoms are on another. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Hands up if anybody's still needing one. 
That's great. Thank you. That's lovely. Thanks ever so much. Yes, I know. Thanks. They don't feel you have to share with anybody, but actually it's really quite good if you can, because it's all part of becoming self-aware, and it's also becoming accountable to other people, which is actually very helpful. <laughs> Sorry. It's, fi it's five o'clock we stop. Pardon? It's five o'clock, isn't it, that we yes, stop? It's five o'clock. <laughs>
Okay, folks, about, about one more minute. I hope, I hope you've had time to share if you want to. There's no compulsion. <laughs> Okay, I hope, I hope, um, can I call you to attention again now? Is it impossible? <laughs> I hope you found that a bit of help, just giving you some idea of how to do this sort of replacing of truth with lies. <laughs> or, that was a bit of fun, was it, as well? <laughs> So, let's go on being transformed, yes, by the renewing of our minds, growing into the true image, into our true image, into the likeness of Christ. And we do that walking one step at a time with him, using all the resources that the Holy Spirit has given us. So that's just a tiny bit of just dipping into, how, you know, renewing our minds, really. But so my points again, knowing that God loves us is absolutely key. And actually, it's out of that um, knowingness that we can choose to think differently in the knowledge of that love, as it were. And my third point is then that we'll affect the world that we live in as well. How do we do this? Just by being ourselves. We actually are God's gift to the world. <laughs> And um, I love this poem as well. Not merely in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a calm and peaceful smile, a holy light upon your brow? Oh no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. For me, it was not the truth you taught to you so dear, to me so dim, but when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. Isn't that wonderful? I just think that's, isn't that what we long for? To actually be unconsciously expressing um, a sense of the one that we love so much. That's what we long for, and actually we do it much more than we think that we do. <laughs> so how do we actually bring a sense of, of him to others? We're, by loving others again, isn't it? An easy thing to say, hard to do, isn't it? Uh, learning to love is an incredible thing. Um, again, I saw this caption somewhere. Wanted best friend. Prospective candidates will make me feel good about me, affirm my best qualities, especially when I'm feeling insecure, call out the best in me and hold me accountable to the best version of myself. Listen without judging me or trying to fix me. That's a hard one, isn't it? Give me the benefit of the doubt. Extend grace to me when I'm grumpy or having a bad day. 
Remember my birthday, favorite foods, music and art. Know my story and love me regardless. Spend time with me just because they enjoy my company. Speak well of me when I'm not present. Serve me with a joyful spirit and without complaining. Speak the truth to me when no one else will. Become excited about what I'm excited about. Never shame me, diminish me, or make me feel small. Celebrate my wins. Wouldn't we die for a friend like that? And now the suggestion is become that person for your spouse or for your friend. Become that person. So make this a list of the kind of friend you will become. And actually, I think we'd have lots of friends if we were like that, wouldn't we? Um, actually, I've, I've got a few copies of that if you'd like those, that, those things. Um, and actually, those are just really practical ways of showing love to others. Uh, by the way, do we, we do need to actually learn to be a friend to ourselves as well, don't we? Um, give yourself the benefit of the doubt some, excuse me, sometimes. Extend grace to yourself when you're having a bad day. Often we're, we're so much harsher on ourselves than actually we would be to a friend. Um, so we need to learn to be a good friend to ourselves as well. And things like, what do I expect of myself? We have huge expectations sometimes that kill us. <laughs> you know, we've got to be a friend to ourselves. How I respond to my failures. Actually being kind to ourselves is important as well. Not beating ourselves up when we fail. Because actually we learn from our failures, don't we? How I talk to myself even. You know, graciously and kindly as we would to another friend, hopefully, <laughs> and definitely as God speaks to us. So actually, God, who is love, has put within us the capacity to love and be loved by him and other people. And actually, we need to learn how to give it expression in our lives. I think, too, that we can get muddled with our thinking about love as well, can't we? What is love? Is it a feeling? How would you describe it, I wonder? Somebody asked me not to ask them questions down here. <laughs> so that's just a general, how would you describe it? I'm not expecting any answers. I don't think we can adequately describe it, but actually it's definitely more than a feeling. Um, any of you remember Don Francisco's song that says, love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. It shows up my age. I can just, <laughs> I just, I can imagine him singing it. I can hear him singing it. And these were the words. He says, so you say you can't take it. The price is too high. The feelings have gone. It seems the rivers run dry. You could never imagine it could turn out so rough. You've given and given till it's never enough. Your emotions have vanished that once held a thrill. You wonder if love could be alive in you still. But that ring on your finger was put there to stay. You'll never forget the words you promised that day. Now, I wouldn't try to tell you that it's easy to stand when Satan's throwing everything that's at his command. But Jesus is faithful. His promise is true. And the things that he asks, he gives the power to do. Jesus didn't die for you because it was fun. He hung there for love because it had to be done. And despite of the anguish, his words was fulfilled. His word was fulfilled. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. 
Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. And I think he's right. You know, Jesus hung there for love. It was an act of his will. He chose to die for us. But love is a commitment rather than an emotion. It's volitional. It's a choice. And it often is committed, thoughtful decision. Because loving involves more than words on our tongues. In fact, 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love with, the wor with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. In that wanted best friend list that I read out just a while ago, all of those things would actually require committed action, wouldn't they? Action is needed to actually affirm other people. Action is needed to listen to other people. Action is needed to spend time with people. And Jesus actually is an example of what loving action is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. 1, 3, 1 John 3.16 And Jesus says to us, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. John 14.23 And something that's important, I think, to realize is that we obey what Jesus commands because we know he loves us. Not because we are trying to get him to love us. That's a really important point, I think. We don't try to please him so that he will love us. That's the wrong way around. We want to please him because we love him, because he first loved us, and we know his love for us. We have been freed to love and be loved. And I, I just think that is just such an important thing. Isn't it? Sometimes we just try and perform for God as well in order that he might love us. And actually, we do things that are right and in line with what he's asking us to because we love him. An interesting question that I thought um, is, is it possible to love everyone? <laughs> um, if love is a committed, thoughtful decision, then there must be a limit to how many people we can love. Um, here's an interesting quote as well. Because genuine love involves an extension of oneself, great amounts of energy are required, and like it or not, the store of our energy is limited as the hours of the day. We simply cannot love everyone. True, we may have a feeling of love for mankind, and this feeling may also be providing us with enough energy to manifest genuine love for specific individuals. But genuine love for relative few individuals is all that is within our power. To attempt to exceed the limits of our energies to offer more than we can deliver. And there is a point beyond which an attempt to love all comers becomes fraudulent and actually harmful to the very one we desire to assist. So we do need to have boundaries as well. We actually try and set impossible goals for ourselves in the sense that we believe that we have to love everyone with everything that we've got. And I, I think Jesus himself had priorities in loving, in a, in a sense. He loved the Father first, didn't he? He was always off to spend time with him. He had a particular relationship with John. He had a best friend. He had 12 disciples, an inner core, as it were. And he had special friends like Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus. So I think it's actually permissible for us to have priorities and friends too. We individually can't possibly love everyone in the world. But if we were all loving one or two people, everybody in the world would be loved, wouldn't they? <laughs> and actually our capacity to grow 
to love grows as well. One or two, maybe three or four, maybe 10 or 12, and our capacity just goes on growing. But we can all um, take our part in actually loving the world when we do our part, as it, as it were. As I finish, actually, let me echo um, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, which says, Ephesians 3, 16 to 18, which says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And with his, that was Ephesians 3, 16 to 18. And so with his fullness of life and power, we can go on being transformed. Yes? As Romans 12 encourages us to. And I'll read that again, the Romans 12 passage. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a holy and living sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. And I thank you for all these beautiful women in your eyes. These women that you value so, so much. And we, we ask that each of us, and I include myself in that, Lord, that you'd help our roots to go deep into the soil of your marvelous love. That our roots would just go on getting deeper and deeper. Thank you that we can never get to the end of understanding what your love is. But thank you that you increase our capacity all the time for love as we go on cooperating with you and wanting to obey your commands because we love you, not because we have to. Thank you that you never coerce us. You never uh, make us do things. You woo us. And we're so glad about that. Thank you that with your help and the help of others, we can actually learn to renew our minds to thinking the thoughts that are good and honorable and true and right, and rather than all the rubbish that we so often pick up. Please help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to be good friends to, to others and to ourselves. And we so much long to bring your presence to other people. 
so that they too will come to know and experience your love. The love of Christ is just, is just so great that we'll never fully understand it. So Holy Spirit, fill us now again with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> and I think I've... <laughs> Oh, I get, I get a clap as well. <laughs> it's not just my husband. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>